Welcome into a special edition of Crossing Broadcast. Uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different from what our normal shows are. Instead of talking about the most recent games and storylines, we're actually going to focus in on something that has gotten a lot of attention, in, especially in recent weeks, but certainly this year. And that's the, the role of a reporter or a journalist or a personality in the media presenting a report. And the way that those things uh, come to fruition, the way that sources work in sports specifically. And uh, I have no two better people in this world to uh, talk about that than the two uh, guys who are on and, and are going to do the very large majority of the talking on this episode. And that, of course, is uh, Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at AntSanPhilly, and Kevin Kincaid, who you can find on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. These guys uh, have covered beats ranging from the Philadelphia Flyers to the Philadelphia Union and now the Philadelphia 76ers. So I think uh, they've got plenty of clout in this and uh, their experiences are varied and it's going to be really interesting. So uh, before before we get into the episode today, uh, a very brief word from our sponsors, and of course that would be Bryn Mawr Medical Specialists Association Cardiology at Lankanaw. Doctors Jason Bradley and Dr. Jeffrey Wool are conveniently located at 6 Lancaster Avenue in Linwood, within walking distance from Lankanaw Hospital, where they are on staff. They are have both been recognized as top docs in cardiovascular disease by Mainline Today magazine. They specialize in preventative cardiology, cardiovascular imaging, preoperative cardiac clearance, sports cardiology, and general cardiovascular care. Appointments are often available within 48 hours. They have a full on-site cardiovascular imaging suite where they perform cardiac and vascular ultrasound, stress testing, holter monitoring, and much, much more. And the best part? Parking is free. If you have any cardiac symptoms or concerns, or if you just want to make sure your heart is healthy and stays that way, call them today at 484-380-2808. Again, that's 484-380-2808. And uh, Dr. Jeff Wool actually passed on a little note. If you're somebody who wears an Apple Watch or Samsung Watch, and I guess they have some kind of... Uh, a monitor in them that if you might get like an irregularity uh, notification with uh, with your heart or something like that, if that kind of thing freaks you out, if you're not sure if it's just faulty equipment or if you're actually concerned, give them a call anyway. It certainly doesn't hurt to go in and get things checked out. So a big thank you again to our sponsor. So, uh, Kevin, Anthony, yo, hey, well, you know what I want to say first, guys. Uh, I, we can tell that Russ is from Schuylkill County and that he now currently lives nowhere near Philadelphia. The way he pronounces things, <laughs> it, it was such a struggle for him to say Lankin Hospital. Yeah, it was like a real struggle. You got to start somewhere, man. Lankanaw, Lankanaw, it's Lankanaw, right? It just, Lankanaw. It's, supposed, it's supposed to flow, Russ. Well, it's Lankanaw Hospital. Lankanaw. You, 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 you. The first time you said it, you questioned yourself. You paused after saying the word Lankanaw. Yeah. And then the second time you said it, you said Lankanaw Hospital. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted really to emphasize Lankanaw. Well, because in the past I've said like Lankanau because like in German AU makes that ow sound. Yeah. So like Lankanau makes sense. But no, it's Lankanaw, and I've been told that I, I make it sound like it's like Lankanaw. Now, I don't want to hear anything, abs- like anything at all from Kevin Kincaid, who still pronounces things like Chwenny. So he's Chwenny. he's got nothing to stand on. And uh, Anthony, you have a, yeah. a couple ticks in, in, oh, I do. I, in, you know, in your Dirty Delco accent. Yeah, so and, I, and I don't want to really dive into it too much, but I was in a rehearsal the other day where the director gave me a hard time um, about saying the word straight. Straight? Uh, straight. Because it's, he says there's no H in it. So straight. I have to I have to deliver a line where it's straight, and I oh. can't, I can't do that. I, I I say straight. That's just that's the Delco in me, right? That's German. Oh. We, got a little, we got a little Schuylkill County in here. We got a little Delco in here. 
<laughs> some Berks, Berks County. Yeah. Some yeah. Berks with a little fish town We're in West well. Virginia and, and Alabama. It's influence. a little fish town, Georgia, West Virginia, Berks County combination going on here. That's good. Oh, that's um, beautiful. We represent all of Pennsylvania. It's a very diverse, uh, <laughs> well, three white guys sitting down. <laughs> three We're white guys from different, from different suburbs. Yeah. Um, so, but, but listen, no, I, yeah, like the last podcast we did, I was sitting there, we were talking about the Santa Laquito thing, and I I was saying to Russ, I was like, yeah, we should do, be interesting to get Anthony on here and just talk about like our experiences with that and kind of like back-ended off of the Santa Laquito story, which is kind of like devolved from the, the, you know, it evolved from what is in the story itself to how it was reported and like the editorial decisions surrounding it. So I think what was new, Russ, that we didn't talk about the last time was that Evan Macy, who's the editor uh the sports editor over at philly voice went on miss Anelli's show the day i think the day after we recorded and miss Anelli was um i mean i thought it was kind of i didn't think either guy was really i didn't think evan was too defensive i didn't think mike went at him as hard as i thought he was going to go at him um uh, but you know mike comes from an old school like newspaper kind of background obviously evan's like a younger kind of digital kind of guy but um i think they said like they had like eight sources that they went with um but I think what people were kind of hung up on was number one, the fact that they didn't call the Eagles until like 40 minutes before the story went live was one thing. Second one was that it was all anonymous sources, you know, which I personally don't have a problem with. So, I mean, I don't know, Anthony, when you go back and like, like consider that whole thing and the way it was presented and the way it was published, what, what was the general takeaway from the Philly voice story? Well, I have, I have problems galore with it. Um, and maybe more so than most because I uh, used to work with Joe Santa Liquido um, in Delco um, and uh, just kind of know how he operates. Um, and so, therefore, my initial reaction when I first heard it, my initial reaction was there's something not right here. And I hadn't even, having not even read the story, I just heard people talking about it. I said, there's something not right here. Let me go and read this thing. Um, so that was just my initial thought uh, up front. But um, in the end, I think, when, you know, going back and looking at it now, I mean, we're a week, almost a week out now by the time, uh, actually, it will be a week by the time people hear this uh, podcast. Um, it, going back, the thing that bothers me more than than Joe's story itself is more the decision that Philly Voice made to run this story in the way that they ran it. Um, and yes, not in, not checking in with the Eagles, not giving Carson a chance to talk, not asking pl- other players, even on the record, to say what they think about Carson Wentz. It ended up being an absolute hit piece that ended up Philly Voice got a lot of attention for it, which is maybe what they were looking for in the long run. Um, even if it is negative, everybody's talking about Philly Voice, Philly Voice, Philly Voice. It got a lot of clicks, which is what they want. Um, and... You know, just the the old school journalist in me gets very, very upset at this newer mentality on how stories are being presented. Not necessarily just sports, but you know, just in 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 news in general. Um, and I get I get bothered by it. And so you know, it, it's funny. I went on ninety seven five on Saturday uh, to talk about it um, with Rob Motti and Darren Degatano on their show. 
and they introduced me as like a media watchdog. Um, and <laughs> from the, from the Pointer Institute, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I don't necessarily know if that's, you know, if they, I, it's, I don't have a problem, um, you know, with that moniker. Not that any, I mean, but nobody pays me for that. That's just because I like to. I like to keep people honest and, yeah. and you know, and, and do it the right way. If you do it, the, you can write this story. As long as it's done in the right way, I don't care that you write the story, nor do I care if you know if you want to present your opinion and present it as a column. That's totally fine too. Yeah. But to present it the way that it was presented is what really eats at me, and the general public doesn't quite understand that. I think I think that they kind of just look at it as it, this is how stories are written today, and they don't quite understand that there are different ways you could present it and still get the point across that you're trying to get a point that you're trying to get across. So and. And do it and do it in a fair manner. So what I see, if you take it from the top down, I think one of the things that Evan was complaining about, which I think was was at least fair on his part, was he was saying that uh, a lot of people just read the headline and didn't even read the whole story, you know, and got hung up on the headline. He said Malcolm Jenkins and Lane Johnson were saying things like, "I didn't even read the story, but." You know, I know this about Carson Wentz. So he was saying it was kind of hypocritical for people to make comments on it if they didn't read past the headline. But the counterpoint to that would be to say, you know, I don't think the headline did them any favors, you know, because just the headline in itself made it seem like, you know, in the headline they used words like selfish and uncompromising and whatnot when they were kind of trying to hammer home the fact that, look, it's not – they weren't trying to say that Carson Wentz was a bad person. That It originally – the way that Joe explained it, he said he was originally trying to find out why the offense was not operating the way it was last year, and that's how the, that's all, how the whole thing started because he was asking about Mike Groh and whether Mike Groh is the problem. His first source, I guess, said that – no, it's 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 not. It's Carson Wentz. So if they had if they had redone the headline in a way to to kind of make it focused on the offense and why the offense wasn't you know a, a, the well oiled machine that it was last year, maybe they would have got people beyond that. But instead, I think they roadblocked themselves right off the top because people read the headline and thought it was going to be, you know, a hit piece. So is that just a uh, you know one of these traditional breakdowns between the person who wrote the article and the person who wrote the headline, uh. assuming that. In this case, no, I don't know this for a fact, but, you know, oftentimes stuff even that goes up on on our site, there are times where somebody tweaks a headline. Um, Usually we check with each other, but like there are times where we'll modify a headline a little bit. Could it just be that somebody tried to put together a little bit more of a hot take kind of headline and and Joe, it it was unbeknownst to Joe or? No, I mean, it's the way that we do it. Like we always write our own headlines. And then if the tweaking happens, it's, it's from, from writer to editor. It's not backwards, you know, it's not. You know, it's not like the editor is writing it and then we're trying to match it up to what's in the body. Like if I make a tweak to a, to a headline that you write, uh, it's starting with the base of your words, not my words. We so had it first. It's one thing to make tweaks. Well, <laughs> no, it's one thing to make, it's one thing to make like tweaks to something that the author, because the author has an understanding of what they want it to be. And if there's going to be a couple words different, that's one thing. But like with some of these newspapers, like a good example of this was the Bob Ford um, column that Les Bowen was arguing with Liz Rocher about the other day, where you know an editor, I'm sure, wrote that, and Bob had nothing to do with the headline. So obviously, it's just two different people trying to interface two different things there, and that's why it doesn't work. But I don't know. Well, yeah, let me let me jump in on that. So, f- first of all, pardon me for being a skeptic to sit here and say that, uh, oh, well, the, you know, the you know the headline was misleading. Well, then why did you put that headline? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so I don't buy that as an argument from Philly Voice. I think it's a lame argument. Number one. Well, but it's only two, they've only got themselves to blame for that, no matter what. Absolutely, you know? so, yeah. ab- 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, but I guarantee you that that's what the intention of this story was, okay? To try and now spin it a different way is them realizing that they got about 90% of the people who've backlashed against them to say that, you know, we think the story is BS, and they're going to sit there and say, oh, well, you probably didn't read the whole thing. You probably were just misled by our headline. That's, that's a lame excuse. It's a lame way of backing out of it. But I want to give a little bit of context on the way um, I assume Philly Voice operates much in the way that newspapers operate as far as, you know, sending in a story, talking with editors, checking, you know, all the checking sources. It's, it's very similar to, I mean, what we do at Crossing Broad is a little bit different. I mean, you know, we kind of have a little bit more autonomy with the stories that we write. I mean, yes, we send it in and, you know, Kevin, you're usually reading it and double checking a couple things. But mm-hmm. for the most part, you're trusting, you know, when I when you read my story, you're trusting that if I put something in that's sourced, that it's going to be <laughs> correct. You're not double checking my sources. You're not mm-hmm. asking me to share, show you text messages or, or whatever, um, yeah. so, right? So, so it's, 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 we do things a little bit differently. Um, but if the Philly Voice would operate, in my estimation, probably a lot more like a newspaper used to uh, operate, although on a much more scaled down level. And the way it used to be is if you had a story like this and you needed to um, you know, go through uh, the editors, you would submit your story. And then the editors would edit it first for, first for grammar and spelling and everything. Mm-hmm. But then, it, they're, then they're going to fact check you. And we had you had newspapers had fact checkers for for a while and they would double check a lot of the stuff that you're writing, not necessarily sourced information, but just even facts that you have in your story. They will double check it and look it up against whether it's something statistical or whether you're referencing a former game or whatever. Um, and then after the fact checkers are done, then they'll they'll write a headline and they'll they will let you know via email. Hey, here's what we're thinking on the headline. Mm-hmm. Do we have this right. Is this what you're going for? And then you respond and you let them know. I mean that's kind of how it's done. Yeah. yeah. So even though even though the writer doesn't write the headline, the writer is readily aware that that headline is going to be is going to be used. Yeah. Now, like yeah. I said, I think that they have a scaled down version probably because they don't have the fact checkers and they probably don't have as as many people on their editorial staff as newspapers used to have back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Not not newspapers don't either anymore. Um, no, but I, know, I mean, right? I, I I think that that's kind of what happens here, and to to act like one was operating without the knowledge of the other. And that they weren't necessarily in conjunction with one another, to me, is a total is is a total cop out by anyone who would suggest that. Because really, what's happened here is they were in bed together with this story, and they knew from beginning to end how it was being going to be presented, headline and all. And and to sit here and come out after the fact and try and make it seem like, oh, well, you didn't read all the way through. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't I don't buy it. I just don't. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I know that Joe is not a, you know, he's a freelancer and he works for a bunch of different outlets. You know, I was saying he wrote stuff for CBS Philly when I worked there. He did some stuff for Voice. You know, he's got his boxing stuff that he does on the side too. So I'm trying to sit here and think of like other examples of when like a freelancer or when a guy who was not down in the locker room every day would would have the kind of sources for that story. Um, and it makes me wonder if – it reminds me of a time actually when I was covering the union where one of the front office people um, be, was sort of working – uh, there were factions in the union front office and one faction was using the local media talking to us and trying to report stories through us and the distrustful other faction would go outside of the market or outside of the local beat or outside of the immediate area uh, to leak stories via a guy in New York. So we were all sitting there, fans were sitting there, it was like five or six years ago and people, and this guy from New York just starts reporting all this Philadelphia union stuff um, stuff that I knew that was bullshit. Um, but people were saying, like, what, what is this New York guy doing with all this Philadelphia soccer news all of a sudden? Like, where is this coming from? So I think that it was, 
you know, he, th- this guy, this executive was just trying to push his agenda through a, another reporter from another city or another non-beat guy uh, to try to combat what was going on with this other faction of people. So I don't know if there's a link to that and what Joe was doing at all. I don't know if that means that like these are front office people or coaches or whatever. Um, were there players? I don't know if how well he would know these players if he's not in the in the locker room all the time. You know what I mean, Kevin? I wonder though, and not to get everything off task here, but like the idea of somebody filtering um, information out of the market. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that works. How many, that was what four years ago? Five? Yeah, less. Uh, yeah, something like that. I wonder if in the current climate, especially the way that that Twitter detectives work nowadays, like I, I wonder if that even would get any kind of credibility or any kind of traction no, in modern because Twitter? They because they just go to national. They, they would just go to national guys. Like, why do you think, like, Woj and um, Josina Anderson and uh, Jackie McMullen and, and Shams yeah. and those guys? You know, everybody always says that people always criticize the local media because they say we never break anything. Like, people make these jokes like, when the hell was the last time the Eagles beat broke anything? There's no incentive for anybody to leak anything to through the local media. They're, you know, not unless there was like specific groups of people working against each other. But if you wanted to disseminate your information as fast as possible, who are you going to? Are you, are you going to Woj or are you going to me? You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's like that aspect of it too, but I don't know. It's I always mean hard it more to, as, I, I think I mean it more as say this random reporter. I don't know who the person was mm-hmm. in New York. Say, you know, you see somebody who's located in New York and they start reporting on somebody from the Philly market I feel like in in the current landscape of of Twitter, people would say, "Well, this guy's not." F- I know it sounds provincial, oh, yeah, but like not- this guy's not from here. Like, who is he to break a story? Because I know, yeah. like, this was this was like a stupid thing, yeah. right? But like, the, um, happened like a week ago. Uh, we got a little bit of information about something that was happening with Dale Weiss, where like he was told to stay home and and wait for a trade. Right. So you know, Anthony and I kind of go back and forth, and I like to stoke the flames a little bit more than he does. And so I just oh, said, like, in, and, I, <laughs> and so I said, you know, in, incoming hashtag flyers. Yeah. And, you know, the immediate thing was the people who have followed me for a while were like, OK, this is interesting. And then there were a few people who caught on to it who said, like, who is this guy? Has he ever broken a story? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And I feel like to, to some extent, that's actually good that there's that little bit of accountability. Um, and then, you know, you would I would see people that follow me, like kind of jumping in that person's mentions and saying, well, you know, he does this, this and this with this person and like yada, yada, yada. And I feel like there's a, there's maybe like another layer now that might not have been in place four or five years ago. And it's not to say that somebody from out of a market can't present it. But yeah, I think more to your point, it makes sense that now it's either local or it's national. You don't see some, well, I shouldn't say this, but it's not totally accurate, but you don't see somebody in uh, like the Minnesota market reporting yeah. on the Sixers, unless it's something that kind of goes back to like when Jimmy Butler was there yeah, and we saw yeah, it with yeah. Weiss. There was a guy up in, I think Montreal from when he played there that that seemed to get good information on him it, it, but those are more like an anomaly yeah right yeah so no they are they are um i mean i can say that you know when it goes but anthony and i both have unique kind of career paths because we both worked for the respective teams that we were covering and breaking stories on you know but that goes that just goes to show that it's about your contact base and about the people that you know and this sort of like reverse attrition kind of is a way I would describe it where you just get to know more and more people 
do more and more stories, people start to trust you. See, Philly's such a weird market for this stuff. You're really not going to come into Philly in like year one or two of a beat and start breaking stories. And if you do, people are going to be skeptical. But, you know, there's still people who will believe anything that, that Howard Eskin tells them or anything that um, some of these old school guys tell them because they've just been around for forever. They know them, they trust them. Um, but to me, the easiest way to cultivate sources was just over time, attrition, getting to know people, talking to people. See, a lot, a lot of the mistake that a lot of people make is that they every time they talk to like they get like a rare like one on one opportunity with like an executive or a coach or something like that, and all they do is talk about team stuff, or they try to like pry for information, or they try to say, "Well, what are you going to do with this guy? What are you going to do with that guy?" Like my advice to any like young reporter would be like, "Don't talk about anything related to the team right off the bat. Ask the right. dude about his wife and kids." You know, like talk about some other team. Like I used to, I used to bullshit with union people about the Eagles. Like, oh, can you believe, I don't know who was playing for the Eagles back then, Vince Young. Like, can you believe they said this dream team shit, blah, blah, blah. But then people know that you're just trying to be a dude and you're just trying to have a conversation with them. Otherwise, every time you go talk to them, they're going to be skeptical and think that like you're out to get some information. You're trying to pull something out of them. You know, you have to develop relationships as a human being first, which we're, we're not good at doing in 2019 as it is before you even start to even go that route, you know? That was just yeah. my that was my experience, and 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 it, it's funny because pre social media, Kevin, you you probably yeah. remember this. Yeah. I mean, that's all it was, man. I mean, that's all we did. <laughs> we were in those locker rooms yeah. every day, talking to guys, and you know, yeah, we talked. You know, I talked hockey, you talked soccer, whatever. I mean, but at the same time, I mean, we're just hanging out and and just talking for ten minutes. I became close with players because of, you know, we could relate to things about having kids that were the same age. Yeah. You know, yeah. we would just talk, be talking about that. We'd talk about movies. We'd talk about any, anything and everything that didn't really have anything to do with hockey. But you just you just show them that, you know, hey, I'm not just here to kind of, you know, find a way to skewer you. I'm, you know, I'm kind of interested in you as a person. Yeah, because people will sniff that out in 10 seconds. They'll know if you're just there trying to get, like, information out of them versus, like, genuinely just, like, asking them how they're doing, you know? And that's yeah. like the missing step that I don't think anybody gets. But but the number the other the second thing is that it's so much easier. Like people people don't just say shit to say shit. Like I'm not going to get anything about Markel Fultz just because somebody wants to tell me about Markel Fultz. You know the other side of it is how am I helping you? You know nobody's going to tell you anything just to tell you anything. And for for years with the union that team was a mess. Okay, that team was a fucking mess. There was like this person disagreed with this person who disagreed with this person. There was a whole group of people who worked in another place who didn't like person A, B, and C, right? So everybody was talking all the time. It was fractious, and so it was easy to get in there. Uh, and then Ernie Stewart came in in 2016, shut everything down, shut all the communications down. The team started winning. There's no reason for anybody to talk. So, you know, that's the other thing. Like, if I'm if you're giving me some information and I give that information out, that is helping you in some way, shape, or form. You know, either you're trying to work against another guy in the media, um, you've got an agenda against some other dude, or you just want to say this dude's lazy or whatever, or you want to just you know leak something out there to, to light a fire under somebody's ass or do something like that. There's multiple reasons to do it, but you're rarely ever going to get any information just because somebody's going to give it to you. If they don't get anything out of it, what's the point? Right, and and I'll t I'll tell you that you know you know we we sit here and this is a hot button topic for us and and it, you know people a couple of people have asked me well why do you got such a burr under your saddle about this and and the rationale is is very similar to what you were just saying is that you know we all get kind of get lumped in together journalistically right mm -hmm. so if somebody if somebody puts something out that is maybe a little disingenuous or is misleading or whatever the case might be it it has an adverse effect on all of us. As to can this person can keep you know the media be trusted? I mean that's the kind of world we live in today, where the media is just not trusted on a regular basis, and it's not just 
2019 that it's like this. I mean, I can take you back to um, to 2010, and and there was the the whole Mike Richards blow up with Sam Carcitti in Washington, mm-hmm. and you know you know that all happened, and it was it tied into Dry Island and the whole thing about the the players are drinking and partying too much. And uh, that was a big blow up. And Richards decided he wasn't going to talk to the media after that whole thing happened. And I had a pretty good relationship with Mike Richards. And I had a, I was able to pull him aside one on one, not for an interview, but just to talk to him. And, and he said, Anthony, I'm sorry. He says, I, I can't. I can't do this media blackout and talk to you and not talk to everyone else. Yeah, he right, says, it's, right. Unfortunately, you're part of, you have to be part of this. And I, and, and that's when it dawned, that was the, like, that was a, a learning moment for me because that's when it dawned on me that the actions of other people that I have nothing to do with, um, their stories or, yeah. or why they're writing them or how they're writing them could have an adverse effect on me. That was the first time that it really, it really dawned on me that somebody else's story could negatively impact my job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so that's why I you know that's why I get, so people want to know why do you get all upset about it and look I I spent the time formulating those relationships with players that's what I used to do yeah. that was my strength I felt as a reporter um, and then to have that even even to have that good of a relationship to have a guy say yeah sorry you you have to fall into the same boat whether it's fair or not mm-hmm. man that sucks <laughs> <laughs> no I know and you know it's weird because. I'll give you a story from covering the union. It was like 2014 or 2015 or something like that. Jim Curtin was the interim head coach and they were going to hire him full time. And they were trying to, they were at a disagreement on how much to pay him. Cause he was really young. He was like in his, he was like 34 years old or something like that. And so they didn't want to pay. They're cheap anyway. They didn't want to pay him any money. And so one of the people on one side of the negotiation leaks, uh, to another reporter, a national reporter that Jim Curtin's going to be the head coach. And I had people, I had multiple people coming up to me in response saying, this is not true. This is bullshit. Um, and it was an effort basically to, to, by leaking that to the national reporter, they were trying to force him to sign a contract that he didn't want to sign. So they came back to the other half of the media and said, this is not true. This is the amount, blah, blah, blah. So you understand that's how, that's how like the help me help you. That's this, that part of it, you know, what do they get out of it? They get to negotiate, um, a different contract price or they get to negotiate in public via the media and I get a scoop on the other half of it, you know, and then you're basically just putting the trust of the national reporter versus the trust versus the trust of me, you know, so it's like which reporter then holds more clout in the Philadelphia Union community? Is it the guy from New York, the national guy from New York, or is it Kincaid, who's a local dude who knows a bunch of fans and stuff like that? And basically you're just pitting the, you know, you're pitting, you're, you're fighting like kind of a proxy war in the public forum and just making, you know, the fans decide who they believe, you know? So that's one example of it. You know, another example of it is I've had people who want to do like leaks with me. who want to say stuff to me because a player's being lazy or they think his agent's a bullshitter uh, or the agent wants to come back and say a bunch of stuff. So a lot of the times it's like doing these proxy kind of things where they just say, we're going to put it out in the media through somebody that we trust and somebody the fan base trusts and hope that that goes for it. And then if you take, if you as a reporter, a young reporter or whatever reporter, if you want to take those leaks, you're siding with somebody else and saying, okay, well, I can get these scoops and I can build my base this way. But you know, this information is coming. This is not information that I sourced. It's coming from people who want to give it to me, you know? So it's two different things. I wish people would understand the difference between cultivating your information on your own via people who don't know you're getting it versus people who want it, who, who want it to get to you in the first place, you know? Right. Well, I'll, I'll give, I'll tell a story as well and I'll, I'll keep, um, uh, a couple names out. I'll try not to be too specific here because I don't want to 
um, really. Yeah, it's such yeah. a small like world in the union thing. I know yeah. somebody's going to figure something out, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm not so I got. I just. I just want to be a little bit careful. But I mean, I'm going to go back again, going back several years. So this isn't anything that's new or current, or it doesn't involve any current, uh, uh, current players or current uh, um, executives with the Flyers. Yeah. Um, however, there was a time in the past where I had gleaned some information about a player uh, that was very. Uh, it was kind of scandalous, um, and it was in the summertime, uh, so it was not during the hockey season, mm-hmm. um, but but it was kind of a scandalous situation. And um, so I had done some work on it. I uh, I had some people, um, non-hockey people, but who were present for this event that took place, um, send me photos and everything. So I so I had an, enough information that I could go with a great story. Um, that would have been detrimental to the player and to the and to the Flyers organization. Um, I brought it to an executive uh, for comment prior to the story running, which is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, <laughs> okay, well, that's yeah. that, that, that. It just Did goes, you give them more than a forty minutes notice. <laughs> gave them more than forty minutes. As a matter of fact, I even went to dinner with the executive, um, and after talking about it, uh, the executive basically told me, um, "Yeah, hey, listen, do me a favor." You know, let's can I'm going to deal with this on the inter- internally. Can you not run this story in exchange for another story? And mm-hmm. the other story was a pretty big story that I ended up breaking um, uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, at the time, it was kind of a, like people were kind of surprised that, you know, this reporter from the suburban newspaper would have such a big story in Philadelphia. Um and uh, this all tied into the uh, the raising of the spectrum and the building of Xfinity Live, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where that story came from. Now, I will say this: once I was asked that, I brought it back to the to my editor um, and talked to him about it, and we had a long discussion about it. And it took us; we agreed to do it, and then um, it literally took <laughs> three weeks. Maybe mm-hmm. I mean it was it was something along those lines before the that story even ran because we needed to, we needed to do so much more diligence on the on the story and yeah. say like let's make sure that this is something that we could really do so I mean it, you know I, I get credit for it but I mean yeah my, yeah my editor was involved and there was another reporter who did some work as well and um, you know we had some sources that were not tied into. Um, the flyers at all uh, they were tied into more into the, the city of Philadelphia so we used some political um, reporting as well so I mean there was a lot of people that were really kind of involved in making that happen yeah. but it started with it started with something else hey and going to them yeah, yeah let's 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 trade off here and we agreed to do it um, and that story still to this day has never seen the light of day nor will it ever see the light of day and I will never tell it publicly um, what I had yeah but it was it's what led to um, to a big story that was broken in the city, but it's a, it's like you know it's interesting. Like I kind of wanted to get your perspective on this because I like I sit here thinking like if I was ever a journalism professor, if I was teaching sports writing one hundred and one to some class or whatever, I think one of the like rhetorical questions I would ask them at the very beginning, like day one of the first semester when you're handing out the syllabus or whatever other bullshit you're doing, I would say to them, I would say, what do you what do you want to do with this? What do you want to be? Do you want to be Mike Mayock or do you want to be Adam Schefter? You know, the point being one guy is just a film game X's and O's expert and the other guy just breaks stories. And he's really, it's less about sports writing or journalism. He's more of an information trader, you know, if you think of it. Yep. Um, 
So there's different ways of approaching it. Now I, I say like, if you know what you're talking about and you know the game and you can write a good game recap or a good X's and O's video breakdown or something like that, or you can ask good questions or do a good, or like if you guys do a good one V one with Mike McKenna or something like that, those things you're always going to be able to fall back on, you know, for yeah. people like Schefter and um, Shams and Woj, they're only as good as their source sources are, you know? So for them, it's, if that goes away, <laughs> then what? You know what I mean? Well, I, well that's the thing. And, and I, I'm glad you pointed it out because I think it's really important that you say that, Kev. When you look at all those national guys, and I would say that with really with the exception of Woj, who, who was a really solid reporter and writer uh, prior Beforehand. to be, – yeah. b- b- Before becoming this national guy. I'm not sitting here telling you that these national guys aren't c- can't write a story because they certainly can. Sure. But, the, but the difference is, is that they're a lot better at – trading information and yeah. being you know and, and getting that information yeah. than they are about writing a breaking story like they're they're better at just putting out a tweet or going on tv yeah. and saying yeah. here's what i'm reporting blah 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 then they are going to be to write a story that would be a like a tell-all uh kind of story well, and that, it's hard you know, to, and it's hard to monetize yeah. that too you know what i mean right. like if if woge is going to sit there and break something on his twitter Okay, fine, but how does that benefit ESPN? You know, so now what they do with him right. is there's always a very quickly posted ac- accompanying story that I'd like personally. With the way I don't, I don't know how ESPN does it, but what I would do is that I would assign a writer or a producer to just work specifically with Woj to be his home base, where yep. he would say, "Here's what I have. Write down blah 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 blah," and that guy bangs it out as quickly as possible. Woj, yeah, and I Woj think that that's what what the the process is now. Probably, right? I don't I know who that, writes. What it is. Yeah, I don't know how much Woj like actually. I'm sure he would like it would imagine like if Anthony had something and he he called me on the phone. And he said, "Okay, you ready to type?" And I would say yes. And he would say, um, "Claude Giroux um, punched somebody in the face at an old city bar." Whatever. I just type 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 you know. And then Anthony would break it on his Twitter and he'd say, "Here's the and like two seconds later he'd say, "Here's the story on our website." So you're directing that traffic. You know, so you're getting right. something out of it. So that's the right. other business side of it. But um, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's what the, a lot of these guys end up. doing. I'm sure that's now. what it has. To, that's yeah. the only thing the model can be now, because other, otherwise, what you're doing is the other way. The only other way to justify it is you pay these guys to not report for a rival. You know what I mean? That's why all of them end up going to ESPN anyway. You know, right. Shams just went from somewhere to somewhere. He went from Yahoo to, to the Athletic. Yeah, Yahoo to the Athletic. You know, so I find that interesting. But I just I just find it interesting to draw that line because I think people lump all that stuff like together. I don't know. It depends on how you define journalism. Like if you would call Adrian Wojnarowski a journalist, or if you would call him an information trader. You know what I mean? Well, and I think kind of going back to your anecdote about having you know, a, a class sitting down and saying, you know, who would you rather be, you know, be this, this really great X's and O game recap person or being the breaking news. You know, I would think that 10, 15 years ago, 85% of the class would have said, I'd rather be this person who's capable, more than knowledgeable about the given sport and is able to write a recap yeah. and, and really provide great insight. I would bet you if, if you presented that now, 95%, I would even guess that it's a higher percentage, 95% would rather be like Woj and be yeah, like Shams because it's, it's like because there there is there is a certain celebrity status that comes with, with those people being part of the of the common pop culture lexicon. You know, Woj a Woj bomb has become a mainstream thing. Adam Schefter reporting has become a mainstream thing. Yeah. And so when you see guys like 
um, like where Sims and Lefko will do stuff for Bleacher Report, they'll interview these guys and, and those guys like, you know, in their given sport, they're obviously going to be knowledgeable about, you know, about Schefter. But, you know, any kind of show that does something similar, like you're going to hear people refer to breaking news personalities in other sports. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. inevitably going to happen. And so there, you don't really hear many people sit down from another sport. Like say you're sitting down with uh, Corey Clement or something mm-hmm. or you're sitting down with Carson Wentz. It's very unlikely that they're going to say, hey, did you read that Jackie McMullen piece? Right. Yeah. Jackie McMullen, yeah. I think, is a is a really good writer. She does a lot of good long form stuff. Zach Lowe does a lot of the same kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And like, you know, Zach Lowe's name might carry a little bit more because he he started more on the digital side with Grantland and, and that was its own kind of thing. But I'm not so sure that that people who are getting into the business now are looking to be this well-respected X's and O's guy as much as they're looking to have it their name out there and be the person no, breaking the news. Not, yeah, I mean, it's just not as exciting. There's no real celebrity to it. Like, you could be like a guy behind a paywall who writes a really, really good recap, and everybody locally knows that you have really good sports knowledge, but then you're trumped by somebody who just comes out and says, so-and-so is going to this team or something like that. Are you doing, like, transfer rumors or stuff like that? That's why I well, think it's important to at least, at least draw that line of separation. I personally don't even like using the word journalism to describe sports because like when I, when I think of journalism, like coming through journalism school and the books that they made us read and all the studies that we did, when I think of journalism, I think of like Peter Arnett reporting in Baghdad while there are like bombs exploding behind him, you know? So I don't think that it just feels to me, the word journalism makes it feel more important than whether Joel Embiid is going to play tonight or not because of his back. I'm not saying that there aren't people who are good at at what they do, but it just seems trivial to me. Like I've always just felt like I'm a sports writer. I don't think I do journalism. It feels like that's more important for more important people, you know? Well, I think that kind of brings us back full circle to where we started here, because when you, when you look at it, having that celebrity, right. Is what makes everybody now who does this for a you know for a living try to be that that yeah and so now anybody who has a who has a forum or has an opportunity is going to try to make their big break by being that next you know Woj Adam Schefter or beating those national people to a big story yeah and I think that that's what you see and I and like I, don't, comp- I think like it's some big competition or something you know? yeah like you know and all I mean really what's it going to get you other than 15 minutes of your name out there right I mean I, and that's what's yeah, happened that's what here with your this source, Carson Wentz yeah, story if your and, source that source disappears two days later then now what are you you right. know so I, yeah and, and that's the thing like and, and you know we could even talk about what constitutes a source nowadays because it's it's changed it's really changed like i i can tell you as you know as someone who does work for the associated press from time to time mm-hmm. um that ap is, you're not allowed to do an anonymous source unless it is a first person source in other words someone who is absolutely directly involved with what you're reporting mm-hmm. on, okay? Mm-hmm. So, like, you can't do a second hand or I talk to someone further down the line or whatever. Yeah, no, yeah. no, they will not allow you to do it, right? So, so, that, so that, let's take take um take the Carson Wentz injury that was reported uh, like what week fourteen, week thirteen. There was right. speculation. So, if if you're writing for the AP, you have you're to, saying and you're saying first hand account. That either has to be Carson Wentz or somebody who's directly involved with Carson Wentz, like a, so, uh, somebody who's on the medical team or somebody who well, or, it could it could be seeing it, results. Like, who does that constitute? That could come from, I would say, fairly Carson, Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, 
Jeffrey Laurie. Or the doctor, it's the it. doctor themselves. I mean, yeah. yeah, but the doctor, but the, if it's the doctor, then geez, they'll get, that's, they'll get fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, they'll, they'll, if the doctor's yeah. the source and the team finds out about yeah. it, holy hell, you're yeah. violating HIPAA there, right? Yeah, I so, hope that people, real quick, I hope people understand how tricky that is because people are always frustrated with like the Mark Fultz stuff and whatnot and the Carson Wentz thing. And I think part of my frustration why I kind of, I didn't, like part of what I didn't understand about Jeff McLean's like line of questioning was it's not that I understand that he's got to ask. Howie Roseman about that stuff, but you know that they're never going to talk about it. Like, you know you can't talk. If a doctor says something about a confidential, about a patient's confidential information, they lose their license, they get, you know, disbarred or whatever the hell the equivalent is of of that. Like, it's really, like, deep shit, you know? Yeah. 2012, uh, 11, 11. Flyers are playing Buffalo in the first round of the playoffs. Um, And uh, Chris Pronger had an injury, um, wasn't able to really play. Uh, much in the in that postseason, um, played a very very little uh, in the game in that series in Buffalo. I think he only played on the power play. They dressed him and he didn't play the whole game. Only power play opportunities. Um, and uh, so of course you know everybody's trying to figure out what his injury is and nobody's talking, nobody's saying anything. So <laughs> Carcitti call, calls the team uh, calls Pronger's personal doctor because he went to go see a second doctor yeah. and Carcitti finds out who the doctor is go and calls that doctor. Pronger lost his mind on about this, mm-hmm. and we're in Buffalo, and calls Sam into a private meeting in the in the in a, like a separate room off the dressing room, and you could hear him just flipping the hell out yeah. at Carcitti yeah. because he's like, "It's personal information, man. You're tr- you're calling my personal doctor trying to find out my health." situation it's like we're giving you what we can give you and that's it and again like you you know it's not it's not a criticism of sam per se because sam's got a job and he's he's probably being told this is what you got to get this information get this information yeah Yeah. and he but he probably took it one step too far in that instance you know so yeah we have to be when we're doing this kind of stuff you have to be very careful on who you're talking to and who you consider a legitimate source so that's why AP's got that standard, and it's and it's tough because, you know, AP in a lot of ways, you know, they're not breaking stuff anymore because of that because they stuck yeah. to that journalistic standard. Did um, they tell you like Anthony when you came out and you started writing like were your editors or your publisher or whatever? Did they give you like the three sources rule? Like everything had to be like you had to have three people for everything. Um, no, it's interesting that you say that though. Um, no, because that was always the baseline rule back in the day, wasn't it? Like three people. Yeah. So I I will say this, this has nothing to do with sports, but I mean, you know, I, I wasn't told that at Delco. Um, that wasn't a thing. Um, obviously you wanted to, you know, you were always told to corroborate information you were given, but it was never, there was never like a minimum number of sources. Um, but after I left, after I left Delco, I went to the flyers and then I got, when I got laid off, uh, from the flyers, the first job that I had was at a medical magazine. And when I got to the medical magazine, they insisted that every, um, cover story that I wrote had to have five different sources in the cover story. Five, really? Five. That's a lot. That, they, yeah. that, that was their requirement. Yeah. And so that made it harder because now, I mean, granted, I could call any hospital in America <laughs> or That's Europe true. for that yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but to, so to get five people, but still at the same time, that was a requirement. And you had to, you had to show the editor, here's who I, here's who I spoke yeah. to. These are the people that I talked to. So, I mean, they did have that role. And I mean, you know, I always felt like, you know, the magazine was a little bit, 
you know, a little bit behind Might the be times, a little much, but, but at the I, same I understand time, the, the yeah. science behind it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, whenever I would have a new source come up to me, like when you get the ball rolling and you break a couple things, then people will just start coming to you, which is the coolest thing right. in the world, you know, because you built. It's the hardest thing is getting the foot through the door, you know, and you break one or two things, then people say, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Then people start lining up to tell you things, and. You know, when I would get a person that I didn't know who would come say something to me, I would try to bounce it off at least two other people. So, like, a couple weeks ago, like, or, like, a couple months ago, like, I don't do the union anymore, but we had, like, this mystery guy just popped up and told me a bunch of stuff. And so I called, like, three people and said, yo, I don't know who the hell this is, but this is what they're telling me, A, B, C, and D. Is there any truth to this? And they would say, yeah, I could believe that, or one, I know that this is true or whatever. And then you're just kind of feeling it out to see if it's worth going from, you know? Um, right. but, it, but you, you're vague at the same time. I don't, I don't know if you had any experience with this, but I always found that fans were really good sources. If you had, <laughs> if you had like, I don't know, I, it's probably different for the flyers and the Sixers and the Eagles and the Phillies because it's just such a bigger scale kind of thing. But I think because I was, I came up with the union as they were being formed and the fans probably had more involvement and more of a say, and they knew more people. And they were just more knowledgeable because they were involved in a lot of like direct fan to uh, front office kind of stuff. Um, but one of the best sources I had was somebody in the front office used to tell everything to this group of fans who would just go ahead and tell it to me. And I knew it was yeah. like pure and unfiltered because they they couldn't feed me any bullshit because they didn't know they were feeding me bullshit. And so they kept yeah. they tried like hell to find out what the hell this source was. They tried to ask people in the front office for their phones. They tried to get them to turn over like their contacts, like put put their phones in a basket and we're going to look through it and stuff like that. They thought it was coming from the youth academy up in King of Prussia. And I'm like, dude, it's not it's not from anybody that you think it's coming from, you know. But that was always great because you knew that they could you knew that they could not bullshit you because they didn't know where it was coming from, you know. So they can try to and then you're just you could try to like just in casual conversation, try to sniff out a rat just by saying a bunch of shit and trying to follow it and see where it goes. But that's like, then you get into like inception layers of like trying to track information and like nobody, nobody's smart enough to like, this isn't like the CIA we're dealing with, you know, this right. is like the flyers front office <laughs> and the union. <laughs> front it's sports entertainment. It's entertainment. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. You said that this is, this reminded me and we talked about a pre-show and I forgot to bring it up, but um, it reminded me back uh, in the very first, my first year covering the Flyers uh, for the Daily Times. I had been covering them for uh, a few years for um, for uh, ComcastSportsNet.com back before it was um, CSN Philly and before it's NBC Sports Philadelphia. But it was called ComcastSportsNet.com. Um, and I was actually doing stories for them for free <laughs> back then <laughs> because they didn't have anybody who wanted to write about the Flyers. So, um, uh, so I, I did, I you know, was covering them for a little bit. My first year covering them for Delco, um, I started talking to uh, a fan who happened to be a, a girlfriend or a side girlfriend for one of the Flyers players who had a girlfriend at home, but in Philly, she was his Philly girlfriend and just started talking to her and she used to give me freaking everything from yeah. what was going on in that locker room. And no, they could never figure out where I was getting that information from. And it came from a girl who was dating one of the guys yeah. um, who just she gave me her phone number. And like like we would text all the time and just just and she was great. Yeah. And she loved being that source. Like that was her thing. So why do you think? What, um, so And then she fun. became Anthony's girlfriend. <laughs> what do you think? So like what do you think? And she? We're still we're still friends on Facebook. What do you think she like? got out of that or what do you think her original motivation was for doing that i 
uh, you know, what her original motivation from, I don't know what the original one was, but I ultimately think, because I used to get some random text messages with her complaining that um, the player was not available to mm-hmm. her because he was having the girlfriend in town from, from home, yeah. and she was a little spurned by that. So I kind of think there was a little bit of that jealousy um, that kind of played into, yeah. okay, well, you're you're going to not give me the time of day. I'm going to share information that you've given me kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which I was always willing to take, and then they got rid of the player, and then she became useless to me at that I point. I think the number one, like, I think in most of those cases, like, the baseline um, reasoning for wanting to talk to the media or for wanting uh, information to get out there is is just that, because people think that this deserves to be public. Like, the front office is hiding something from you, or you're not hearing the whole story. You know, that's probably the most baseline you know, Occam's razor way of explaining this because people are sitting here probably thinking like, well, why would a fan take something that a front office person told them and tell it to the media? Basically just because they thought that everybody should know about it. You know, that they thought like the rest of the fan base should know about it. And they thought that the Philadelphia Union or the Philadelphia Flyers community should know about this stuff. Like FYI, yeah. did you know Bethlehem Steel is not going to play in Bethlehem next year? Maybe people should know that. So they would come to me with those kinds of things. You know, I think that was probably the main motivator there you know but if i was if i was going to do it again for the sixers like if i'm if i'm going to this territory and i want to start fucking around with markel fultz or like anything like that i wouldn't i wouldn't attempt anything right off the bat unless i knew it was a slam dunk like i would not try i would not like go with something that i was like 80 or 85 percent sure on like because i haven't done anything for the sixers yet like I got to come out right. with like one, two, three, they're slam dunks right away. And then that builds leeway for yourself. Well, if I get something wrong, I can say, oh, well, by the way, I was a dude who told you that I, I don't know, you know, that so-and-so had this, right? So like you, you have like zero margin of error right off the bat. And then your margin of error and <laughs> goes from like zero to a million <laughs> right off right. the bat. No, so you got to, it's like absolutely. break one thing and everybody trusts you for the rest of your life, you know? Well, yeah. Kevin, you, you said something before that, that I, I think might be worth touching on. So you had mentioned the fact that, you know, scale-wise, the union compared to, like, the Sixers or, or the Flyers are different. And, and you had mentioned the fact that there were people within the union organization who were trying to figure out who your source was. And it was almost, I, I get the sense that it was almost kind of like, you know, sticking your, your tongue out and, like, doing the na 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 because, like, you knew who your source was and you knew they'd never be able to trace yeah. it. But that was at a, at a small well, scale. Anthony bad. has really quick. I'm sorry. You felt bad in a way because they would they, then they would be going after people that I knew were not involved at all. So it's like collateral well, damage. Saying, yeah. So like I'm sitting here thinking now, do I like call this person or, and do I say, look, you're going after person A, B, and C? They're that ain't it. You know, it's somebody different. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but like, please lay off <laughs> them or something. Like you think those things. It doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, but you do feel bad for people because they thought it was a whole building worth of people who was like saying stuff to me. And I'm like, you're harassing these people and like asking for their phones and stuff. It's not them, you know? Anyway. I'm so sorry. Anthony, I, you know, I, I think, I think I might have a, an idea of the answer that you're going to give here, but have you ever experienced that on the flyer side of things? <laughs> I mean, it's a much bigger organization. There are obviously more people who are involved in the day-to-day operations of the team and, and ancillary people that are around the arena and, and such. Has it ever happened to you? Has anybody ever tried to find out who your sources are? Oh, all the time. I mean, and that's, 
I'll give you the most recent one, and I, I know that's kind of what you're leading to here, Russ, because we've talked about it. But um, yeah, I mean, this has been something that's going on for for years. I mean, anytime that you break a story that you're sourcing, um, th- there's always somebody trying to find where that leak is coming from, because they will always want to plug the leaks, right? I mean, that's the most important thing from the team aspect. But most recently, you know, when I was putting out the stuff back in November about Hextall going to be the first you know, first to go and, um, and then really what happened there and, you know, the, the big, um, the big piece I did on, uh, on crossing broad that got a lot of traffic, uh, not just locally, but, you know, internationally as well. Uh, cause I was hearing from people in Canada and, and Europe about it. Um, you know, there, there was a, uh, an effort from what I'm told to figure out who was talking to me. Um, and it would like some people have made a joke about it. Like I see them down at the uh, at the Wells Fargo Center, and they act like, "Oh, we can't talk to you." Oh, sorry, Anthony, I can't be seen talking to you. And we laugh about it. It's 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 funny because it's you know there was kind of an internal, let's figure it out. Let's fi- let's find out who Anthony's talking to. And again, yeah, do you feel like Kevin was saying? Do you feel bad? You know, because they're going to go after people that they assume is who it is that's talking to me. Yeah, you do. You feel bad because they don't deserve yeah, that weird. scrutiny. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, if you're really good at protecting your sources and, you know, don't leave any crumbs for, for anybody to do that, to do that, you know. And like Kevin said, they're not going full-blown, you know. <laughs> they're not going to go hardcore trying to find it, you know. To find they're not it. hiring Jack Bauer to right. come in and right. figure I mean, it out. They're, yeah. they're going to they're they're ask around. They're going to talk to people and see if they can figure it out. But, I mean, they're not going to go they crazy. They try to make people uncomfortable and they try to scare yeah, them into yeah. not talking to you. Like, normally what will right. happen is that, like, you'll report something that's accurate. An email will go out or they'll have, like, a meeting or something. This is what Comcast Sports – I'm sorry, uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia did after Kyle and I did that story last year. Um, the day after it was published, they called everybody in for a meeting, and they said, we don't know who spoke to Crossing Broad, but if you speak to them again, you're fired. So then talk about tone deaf, because the whole tone of the whole thing of the story was that they don't like working for these people because <laughs> they're like assholes right. and they don't know what they're doing. So then they pull everybody Double down say, on an yeah. authoritarian regime. <laughs> it's like slam <laughs> right. the fist down even harder. But those are the things that you hate because there's fallout against people that don't even have anything to do with it, you know? So it's kind of a weird yeah. situation when it comes to that stuff. But I, I always, I mean, fans always worked well for me. Proxies. I loved using proxies like, you know, um, technical staff member would say something to this person who would tell it to you, you know, and then they don't know who it is, but I right. didn't fuck around with agents or any of that stuff because I don't know what it's like in hockey amp, but when, when, you know, when you get these like foreign agents and like South American guys coming in and European guys coming in and stuff like that, it just turns in like this whole ridiculous mess, you know, where they just negotiate higher salaries and transfer fees through the media and stuff like that. And you just like your head starts spinning. Cause you don't even know where the hell you are or who to believe or if this guy's even real or not. Um, so I always yeah. just try to keep it like local, you know, is that like Carlos Valdez, the Valdez saga? Nightmare. Yeah. Oh my God. There was like three, he, he had like four agents. One of them was in Colombia. One of them was in Argentina. One of them was in like, uh, the United States. I don't even, I, like, I didn't even know what the hell to believe by the end of that thing. So I just like left it alone, you know? Yeah. De- dealing with agents can be a shit show. Uh, I, I mean, I've had an agent burn me, um, once, um, I mean, I, you know, there are times when, you know, you talk to an agent and they kind of give you, you know, decent information. I, I think it's a good spot to to kind of just kind of figure out, you know, try and get the lay of the land, try and do some smart you know, digging. But I, I you cannot at any really at any time unless 
unless they're guaranteeing you that they have a contract in hand or something along those yeah. lines that they're going to sign, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, it's really just more for to further your investigation that you're doing, yeah. right? I mean, that's the only reason that you would really use the agent. Uh, otherwise, boy, you you really run the risk of getting burned. Well, and the other thing, too, is that, like, say you have a really good rapport with, like, uh, I know it's used like the Eagles, for example. Say that you develop a really, really good relationship with like Joe Banner and he's like leaking you a bunch of shit or something like that, right? And you start banging out stories one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, something like that. And then I wonder who you could be referring to oh, there. Well, <laughs> depends on whether ahead, depends continue, on whether you believe that or not. I mean, it's just something I've heard. I don't fuck <laughs> I'm not down there, so I don't know. But no, think about it. Like, imagine you're breaking. It could it could be anybody. Andy Reid. Like, Andy Reid gives you a bazillion stories in a row or something like that. Uh, you know, another ex- Don Smolensky doesn't like that, and he knows that he's that Andy Reid's leaking to somebody else, and he knows it's it's you, it's Anthony, right? Andy Reid leaves. Don Smolensky's still there ten years later. You know, now what? Like, you've kind of like back ended yourself into like this guy was really good to you, and now he's gone, but the guy who hates you is still there. What does that do to your information? What does that do to your standing with the team? What does it do to the question, the answers that you get to questions? That's why I kind of like where I'm at with the Sixers right now because every time I ask a question, I know that they're, I'm like, I am uh, untouched. You know, I'm like, they don't look at me and say, well, Kincaid reported some bullshit a couple weeks ago that we know is not true, or we know that he's working with like Raymond Brothers on this or something like that. So I feel like I don't have any of that on my shoulders yet you know that stuff lingers for year after year after year after year where a lot of people know hey this guy had this this guy said this about this person this guy was working with this person this leak was being leaked to Kincaid on purpose so it just gets like it just gets to be like a lot you know it gets really tricky and you're like managing and massaging all these like individual relationships while still trying to like do a good job you know yeah and I think that I, I agree with you um uh, but I, I think that it works for me um, in this way. I'm not there every day. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a lot different. Like I, I I have the ability, you know, since this you know, crossing broad is, is, a, is a second gig for me, um, I have the ability to kind of just be, you know, pop in and out kind of thing. Um, so it's harder to really identify who I'm talking to on a regular basis. Oh, that's true, yeah. So... You know what I'm saying? Like if I'm there every day like the beat guys are and I'm breaking this stuff like I am, it's easier to identify. All right. Well, where's you know, where who was Anthony talking to today? Who was he talking? You know, where did he go yesterday? So it becomes a little bit easier to narrow the focus being someone who just pops in and pops out, but has some, you know, still has all those great connections down there. Um, I think it makes it harder for them to identify where I'm getting it from. Yeah. So I think that I'm, I'm still able to play that game a little bit. Um, if it ever got to a point where I was down there regularly again, I would certainly, like you said, have to be a lot more careful about how I went yeah, about it. Yeah, you know, it. the one, probably the biggest story that I ever got was when uh, Nick Sakevich, who was the CEO and the operating partner of the team, who now runs the National Lacrosse League out of Conshohocken, um, when he got fired in 2015, that story, I broke that story based on somebody who was drunk just started texting me out of nowhere. <laughs> like totally like just a black could tell that they were obliterated because their spelling on the text messages was like totally whack. And I'm like, wow, what the hell is this? Like, um, and they alluded to something. They said, blah, 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 Nick, um, 
like might not be back or something like that. And I'm like, holy shit. Okay, well, this person's just drunk. I don't know what the hell they're talking about, but let me just sniff and see what I can find. And sure enough, I got two other people to say, yeah, we think it's happening. So I was like 85% sure. And I went with it and sure, and, and sure enough, it happened the next day. But that's an example of how like it, shit just happens out of nowhere sometimes, you know, um, that wasn't like me even searching for anything. That wasn't me going and f- asking around or like doing, f- you know, a good job. <laughs> I was just driving home from a game and somebody just texted me randomly. But when you build, it's a very, it's like the, I don't know how to say it. It's like the opposite of diminishing returns. It's like, as soon as you break a couple things, like I was saying, then it just like snowballs into this thing where all of a sudden people are like, Oh shit, this guy's dialed in. He knows what he's talking about. And then you have all these other people coming out of the woodwork that want to talk to you about other things. So really it's just like breaking down that first barrier, which is the hardest thing. And then going from there, you know, right. there right. was a, sorry, there, there was a thing I wanted to get into that I think you guys touched on early in, in the episode. I wanted to try to see if we could figure out a, a way to make sense of this. So in the case of like Santa Luquito, or, or anybody else, insert whoever you want. If you're an editor of a paper or of a site, and you have somebody come to you with whatever the story is, it could be something that's just, you know, totally whatever. It doesn't, it's not going to move the needle that much. It's nothing that's really groundbreaking. It's nothing that's really hot takey. There's, there's no way to really take it as slanderous or libel. And, and you just kind of let it go, whatever. But in the case of something where it's clear that they're is going to be the chance it's going to ruffle feathers within the organization or with a player or with a star. It's going to be something that's talked about on sports talk radio on, you know, any kind of sports site. If you're an editor and, and your reporter comes to you and says, here's what I have. Here are my sources. And, you know, Evan Macy had gone on to 97.5. And one of the things that Miss Nelly asked him was, you know, are you confident in the sources? And Macy, this is the way that I, I took away from, from what he said is he was privy to text messages from people who were involved and he said that he heard recordings it for for me that sent up a lot of different alarm bells because if i wanted to i'm not saying that this is what happened but if i wanted to put together a salacious report and i got a few people who were not directly involved to give me to either send me texts or to be on record on some kind of recording as saying, you know, so-and-so did this, this, and this, and this. He's a jerk. Uh, we don't like him. He really isn't as good as this other player. Whatever. And then, like, I go back in my phone and I fudge it where I, you know, I put somebody else's name. How are you as the editor going to confirm it? Is it something where, as the editor, it's on you to take those phone numbers as well and to check in with those specific sources? Or do you kind of have to go with what your reporter's telling they- you? I mean, back in the day, they used to have fact checkers who would work within newspapers and and magazines and whatnot who would call you and like would read like even people use like I did a story for Philly magazine one time where I was quoted on something and that somebody who wasn't the author called me and said, did you say this? And they read it to me verbatim. So they used to have fact checkers who would do it like that. Um, In this day and age, it's weird with the Santa Liquido thing because he's not a full time employee for them. You know, he's just a freelancer. Now, if Jimmy Kemsky came to them and I said, I have this, this, and this, I'm sure they would trust him right off the bat because he's been working for them forever. And what does it tell you when Jimmy Kemsky comes out and completely disassociates himself from Yeah, that was interesting, too. Um, And also the thing with Joe doing WIP like three times in 24 hours or something made it seem to me like he was just being really defensive, you know? Um, I don't know. It's weird. When we All I can say is that when when Kyle and I did – 
the Comcast Sportsnet. I'm just going to call them Comcast Sportsnet. I don't fucking want to say NBC. When we did that story, basically, <laughs> Kyle knew. I did. I did all of the interviews and all the correspondence with everybody. So I talked to four current employees and four. I mean, um, four current employees and two former employees. But he knew everybody that I talked to, and he had copies of all of the correspondence with all these people that I had. So, like, if I had an email exchange with somebody or talked to somebody on the phone, like, I would try to save it or whatever. And he, he was privy to every all six of the people that I talked to. So that's how we did it. Um, that was a little bit different because they – that can't be compared to the San Alquito thing straight up because those people came to us, you know. The San Alquito made it sound like he was going to other people. So – I, there's different wrinkles there, but I don't know what I would do with a freelancer. Like, I guess there's part of you that says like, I trust this guy and we wouldn't have him on our payroll and we wouldn't publish any of his stories if we didn't trust him. But it's different for a guy like if Kemsky was doing something for them or if Newbeck was doing something for them versus Santa Liquido, who's sort of like a mercenary, you know? Yeah. I, I think everything Kevin just said is exactly correct. Russ. Um, that's exactly what would happen. Uh, you know, fact checkers would go back and, and check with your sources. Um, that's just the way. That's just the way it is. I mean, that's that's how it was done. Um, but that was that's very old school, old school that mentality. Never it's not anymore. done. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't happen anymore. It, it nowhere. I mean, I it, I would I would venture that maybe the Associated Press is the only place where that continues yeah. to happen. I can't imagine that any other outlet really has the resources really. Um, because everything's so stripped down to even but there's consider no, doing yeah, something and there's like no that here's the other thing and I don't want to get this too off track but there's really no repercussion for when you get something wrong you know I mean look at how much right. stuff has been wrong recently especially with this whole like you know fake news phenomenon and when with just the state of what the media is now outside of sports you could really just make a bunch of shit up and then it's wrong you take a couple lumps and then everybody forgets about it two days later you know so yeah, I'll, I'll give <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you an example. Here's here's a perfect example. So I did a story. I'm sure you guys remember the story uh, probably maybe a decade ago now um, where there was an illegal gambling ring based out of New Jersey that was involving a lot of professional athletes. Yeah, I remember this. Okay, so um, it was actually broken by the AP. That that story was was a uh, actually a local AP story. It was based out of the Philly office, but it was you know based in Jersey. But um, I had a uh, the the next story after that, um, we're tying in uh, current and former uh, Flyers employees and certain players um, that were involved in it. And so I wrote this story, and I you know had the source was checked and everything was great, and. We had an, uh, a desk editor who changed very late at night. I mean, after we had already submitted the story, it was a front page story, had changed a sentence after going back and reading it one more time, changed a sentence and identified Mark Recchi and John LeClaire as being, quote, indicted uh, in this in this thing, which was not what I had originally <laughs> written. What I originally written was that they had participated yeah. in the ring. And he changed the word for whatever reason. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he was to figured, indicted, and he was just you know, oh, yeah. That they was the, yeah that they were indicted. Um, so of course the story comes out the next day, and the first thing I hear as soon as I show up at work the next day is uh, the Recky and lawyer uh, Recky and Leclerc. They were playing for the Penguins at the time. Had hired an attorney. The attorney called the the paper. They were th- threatening to sue us because it's not true. They held a press conference between the first and second period. That night of the game, they were in their uniforms, in skates and everything, with lawyers in Pittsburgh, 
saying that this that my story was false and everything else. So of course I get called into a meeting with the paper's lawyers and with the editor in chief and et cetera, et cetera. And I said I didn't write that. I said, That's not what I wrote. I mean, we can go back and look. You can look at what I emailed in and everything else. So they went back and looked at it. They fired the desk really? editor. They yeah. fired the desk editor who made that change. Now again, I don't think he did it maliciously. No. I think it was I think it was accidental, but it was not done right. And so they fired him for. I mean, this is a guy who had been at the paper for many for several yeah. years, and. All of a sudden, no longer had a job. Today, if you make that mistake, you just put out an "oops, yeah. my bad." Dude, I don't, I, Anthony. Like <laughs> honestly, what? I don't think that people, like I don't think listeners right now or Twitter followers or people who read our stuff, I don't think people understand how commonplace like it is to get like su- that. That outlets are dealing with like lawsuits and stuff like that. At channel, at channel yeah. three, like I swear to God, our management of channel three would leave to go to a different court hearing like every week. That they were getting sued by this guy for saying this. They were getting sued by this guy for saying that. I remember we reported that like some um, janitor at like a Bucks County High School was uh, a child abuser or something like that, and it was just totally fucking not true. Like we didn't even vet, like our people didn't even vet it or anything like that. So sure enough, they got sued. They were named. They all they all left one day in the middle of the day. <laughs> to go to like friggin' court, and I'm like sitting here thinking, like, what the hell is going on here? And somebody who was like dialed in, they're like, yeah, they got sued again. Like we, they were dealing with lawsuits all the time, you know. But yeah. none of them lost their well, jobs. I, I mean, this isn't nearly at that scale, but like I think of the fact that like the Philadelphia Inquirer, in the last two weeks, have had two of their reporters either get get taken by a player or get taken by a fake tweet, yeah. and it's ended up making national news. Now, in, in the case of the basketball one, I mean, like, Keith Pompey put out that, um, you know, Ben Simmons said he was going to be in the dunk contest. And, like, that's that's playful, whatever. Like, I don't think – that's not going to change anybody's life. It caused, you know, a little bit of fun speculation. And then it got picked up nationally that, like, oh, man, Ben Simmons out of nowhere, a guy that we've only ever seen, like, throw down a two-handed jam off the baseline, is, uh, you know, going to be in the dunk contest, which, mm-hmm. you know – started all kinds of fun jokes about, oh, I just enjoying the three-point contest, you know? Like, whatever. Like, that one's kind of funny. Oh, all right. You know, he, he took the player at, at his word and, and didn't pick up on the fact that it was a joke. Fine. But, I mean, that, that that's a traditional media yeah. reporter. On on our side of things, like, Sam Carcitti got taken on a terrible, I mean, a, a horribly photoshopped, uh, you know, what looked like a tweet that had then been put on Facebook. Like, it was the weirdest thing. The text didn't match, the text font, the size, none of it made sense. And Anthony and I came up the elevator, and we were, like, getting ready to go, you know, over to the to press row, and I see him standing there, and he's standing by, you know, the, the GM's box, and all I keep thinking is, why is he standing there, and, like, wh- like what does he have? Because that's my first thought, right? Like, it's it's out of the ordinary for there to be a writer standing in that location, and I'm like, all right, something's up, and then, like, wouldn't you know it, 15, 20 minutes later, we, we see the tweet, and it's like, not only does he report based on a fake TSN tweet, not only does he not catch up on it or like catch on that it's fake, but then, you know, Bob McKenzie from TSN, the equivalent of having like, I don't know, Chris Mortensen or somebody from ESPN shoot you down that like, no, that's yeah. not real. That's fake. He's he, 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 Schefter in a like, lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Well, I was thinking Drager. Like Dra- Drager to me is... Well, Dra- Drager's more Schefter. You're right. Yeah, he's more Schefter. So, but like... Not only did Carcitti report this thing inaccurately, but then when TSN went after him and, and TSN's top or, or like 1A guy went after him about like, that's not true, that was not put out, he engaged in a back and forth that, that took over, I think, like 40 minutes of time on Twitter. And like, 
to me, I, I kept sitting there going, okay, this is bad. Like somebody needs to bail him out. Somebody who works at the paper needs to bail him out. He needs to like put out a retraction. It needs to go all, it needs to happen now. Like somebody who's on the beat, who's friends with him needs to like explain to him that this is clearly not real. And like, you've got to, you've got to pull the ripcord on it. Right? Like that's the only thing that makes sense. And then in the aftermath, there were people who were tweeting at me, not like I would know, but they're like, well, did he face any kind of punishment for this? Like, was there anything that, that ended up coming no. of this? Because it's it's not like in the case of Pompeii where it's like, aha, funny, you know, you got taken for a ride by Ben Simmons. But like, you you had a reporter from the, the preeminent newspaper in a top, whatever, top four, top five market engaging in a back and forth about a fake tweet to Canada's preeminent or, or one a hockey reporter. Like... And I mean, nothing came know. of it. Yeah, I don't know what... If, if we had done that, I mean, I I would think that that well, wouldn't go guys, so well, like another, right? Like, I mean, another layer to it is, is... And Anthony, you might know better than I do, but I mean, all these guys who like write for the, the, the quote-unquote legacy media outlets or whatnot, all are a part of the writers, um, uh, are not in a union. They have union representation. Um, they've have been there for a while, you know, and it's, it's not like, I think a lot of, a lot of people are just automatically protected. We had a lot of people at channel three who we, we had an, um, an issue at channel three one time where we reported that somebody was dead when they were still alive, <laughs> which I don't even know how the hell it was a Phillies. Um, Oh shit. You know who it was? It was a Jim Fergozzi. Jim Fergozzi. Remember when uh-huh. he died like five or six years ago? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, somebody spelled yeah. his name wrong on the Chiron, which is fucking ridiculous, but, um, so we reported that, and I, I had nothing to do with this, by the way, but we reported that Jim Fergozzi was dead when he was still alive. I guess what happened was he was in like, like about to, you know, kick it, but right. technically he was right. still alive or something. So I guess we just took a report from somebody that wasn't true or something like that. And instead of, you know, but we couldn't, normally that would get you fired at a lot of places, but instead somebody got just shoved on like the overnight shift in an effort to like try to get them to quit. Because the union um, protected yeah. these people, so like there, you had to like in order to get fired from that from like the Screen Actors Guild or like AFTRA, you would have to like literally walk into your boss's office and like punch them in the face in front of everybody. Like that's the only thing that could ever get you fired. Because there are people, I'm, people had like fifteen strikes <laughs> who were like protected. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm, you know it's not me making a judgment about like Carcitti or Keith or any of those people, but. I guess what you do, the, what the fans do is you just add it to the portfolio of stuff that helps you formulate your opinion of whether you like that person or don't like that person, whether you believe that person, or whether you don't believe that person, you know? So I think that's probably just another yeah. example of that, you know? You're, you're hundred percent right. The, the union representation ends up becoming more of a hassle for, for companies. Yeah. I, um, I personally, I, I, I personally did not like, I, my, I had a negative union experience. I know other people have positive union experiences, but mine, at channel three, probably because of those kinds of reasons was, was negative, you know? Well, my union, my union experience was, I, I say I had positives and negatives. Yeah. That's probably, <laughs> um, yeah. there, there, there was a, there was a time when I was actually the uh, president of the union at Delco. Um, so, so what, you, what union was that? So it's part of the communication workers of America, but it was local. Oh, okay. 10, um, uh, which also was the same union that, was for um, Inquirer Daily News. Same oh, same okay. people. Um, obviously, we we were on a different contract, but same represent same union representation. So the same guy 
uh, from that local would represent that would represent the Inquirer and Daily News would also represent us and a couple other papers in our in okay. our chain, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Pottstown, um, Westchester, and uh, Norristown. Um, so, you know, there were times when it, we had a we had a situation where we had an employee um, who had two. Um, uh, situations um, where women complained about the way that he was with them um, for harassment and I I had to be like his union rep in the, in the meetings when he was called in yeah, with the bosses yeah. and and it, it sucked to, to have to be there because I firmly believed the women of <laughs> like 100% what they yeah, were saying yeah. um, and this guy was telling you know saying it's not true and he was like freaking out and he's going to get a lawyer and sue everybody they didn't fire him. They didn't fire him. They didn't yeah. suspend him. They just made sure that they weren't on the same shifts as the women. I know. It's crazy, man. I, um, I, I, yeah. I mean, not to get too far off into the union thing, but we were part of, you know, after the American Federation of Television and Radio, I don't know what the other yeah, artists, artists. Thank you. <laughs> And then we, mer- <laughs> can't even remember what the hell it was called. And then we merged with the Screen Actors Guild. So it was SAG after. So the problem is that we all were right. all, rep- we had different people who had different interests were represented by the same union. Like my interests are not the same as Yuki Washington's interests. You know what I mean? Um, so that was a whole Correct. funky another layer to it. But yeah, a lot of the point being is that a lot of the legacy media outlets have these layers of, <clears throat> to Russ's original point of like, what are repercussions for things like that? There really aren't. You know, I don't know what kind of portfolios people keep, how many strikes you have to have or whatever, but you can't just like go and fire some of these guys who have been doing it for a while. A lot of them just have like protections that are built into to contracts. You know, a lot of a lot of in Philadelphia, grand grandfather contracts or grandfather clauses were always a big thing, you know, where uh, I remember we had layoffs at Channel three and it was ordered that if you had been here for X amount of years, the layoffs were not based on merit. They would just go down from top to the bottom and they'd say, okay, who are the three newest employees? They all got fired. You know, cause if you were here for like 20 plus years or something like that, you had tenure and they couldn't fire you. So I remember they accidentally, I'm now I'm telling the honest truth here. I'm not bullshitting you. They fired the wrong person and then they rehired that person and fired somebody else instead because they got the timeline wrong because one person had been there for 25 years and he wasn't supposed to get the axe. Another had been there for nine years. And so they accidentally fired the 25 year guy instead of the nine year. But that's what I'm saying. The whole point being is that it's not, again, it's not merit, you know, it's a lot of these things are kind of written into these, whatever. But one, um, one thing I did want to come back to when, when you heard about the 40 minutes thing, when Joe said that he called, um, the Eagles 40 minutes before, I, I always told the union about stuff like if I had like a big thing I was working on I told the PR staff like as soon as I got as soon as I got something that was concrete that they couldn't like scupper you know what I mean like because right. I think some people were saying like well why would Santa Liquido tell the Eagles he he has has this and why would he tip his hand if they could just come out and like you know ruin it for him or like release something prematurely or like you could leak a story to another person instead to kind of ruin what he's doing that's rare like that kind of stuff never happens it's like csi kind of stuff but um the pr the the amount of time simply to even get that kind of like counter report out in, yeah. in time would be but like, practically I, P- impossible PR anyway. really in my experience they don't really care about that kind of stuff because they're just a middleman for like the, the decision makers anyway so they always i know that the union people always said thanks for telling us this at least we can prepare and i can try to get a quote from the from the player or something like that and then that kind of set you up to be more successful with other things so i can't imagine like what the harm would have been in santa liquido telling them like 
three or four days prior, look, here's what I have. I just want to give you a heads up. Um, we'd love a comment. And obviously, you know, if you don't want to say anything, whatever. I don't see any negative, like, coming from that at all. Right. No, I mean, he he went on the radio and said that he got it, you know, because you know, one of the criticisms was you could have talked to Carson when he was available. That, like, you know, Friday the day or after. whatever that was, right? Well, no, it was, the, it was the day after they lost to the Saints, right? So oh, yes. Th- yeah. I guess it Wentz was, Monday, was available. Yeah. And, he, and, his, and his response was, uh, I, I didn't get it solid. You know, the, the big source didn't come through for me until Monday night, so I couldn't have talked to Carson. Okay, so you now had a week. You had a week between the big source coming yeah. through for you and the time that that story is published. You mean to tell me that at no time during that week – you could you couldn't contact the Eagles. You waited until eight forty or eight right, twenty right, yeah. on Monday morning, on a holiday Monday morning, no less, to contact them and then say at nine o'clock up, oh, put the story up, and the Eagles didn't respond. That's bad, yeah. man. <laughs> that is. I remember that's really um, Russ. Bad. You probably remember this one, but um, there was a story of one of the Philadelphia Union players who got pulled over for DUI, and then he went to trial and he was found not guilty. And what happened was he was going around in the locker room telling people that he felt like he got pulled over by the cops because of racial profiling. He's a he's an African-American guy. He's uh, has Nigerian roots. Right. Um, He was going around in the locker room telling people that he felt like he caught a DWB. All right. Driving while black. That got out to me who said, all right, well, if this is public record, so let me pull the court documents. So when I got the, the transcript of the trial, that's when I went to the union and I said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm working on this because I knew that there was no way it could be ruined because I had the physical copy of the actual transcript sitting in front of me. You know what I mean? But it still gave them time to contact the player to see if he wanted to talk, see if they wanted to have a comment too. You know, So there was never anything that was going to be negative about that. If I had just gone and done that without telling them, then all of a sudden they're like, shit, why isn't he like, at least like, give us a, a chance to respond here, you know? So you're really just all that is is really just about doing them a solid more than anything. Did we lose Russ? Yeah, now? I don't know. He's had his like thing saying "Hey" on his like. So for people who are listening at home, if you, like we're doing this online, <laughs> so if you want to like make a point here, you can either t- there's like a little thing that we can type into that says like "Hey, I want to talk about this," or you can click on this icon and it says like it puts an exclamation mark above your name that says like you have a point that you want to make and you want to start talking. So Russ hit this thing like an hour ago, and it's just been up. <laughs> It's just been up. Why is it still there? It's just been up the whole damn time. But I keep thinking, I keep looking at it. I'm like, oh, did Russ want to say something? So, but that's all. That's about. Do yeah, you guys throw to me at all? Because I, uh, I just went to go put out a toddler crisis for about oh, the no, last I was six minutes. Why you didn't? Yeah. We were just like, look, we were. We, yeah, we were going back and forth for a little bit, and then there was no Russ, and then I, we finally got to yeah. a dead spot, and. Your thing says, "Hey, yeah, and there's nothing. There's pay nobody to me. Then there's nobody. Else. <laughs> and there's uh, no you. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it it shows up for me. It shows up for like a second, and then it just disappears. So I kind of figured, yeah. you know, nobody knew that I yeah, had my hand up. Uh, one, fifty-five I minutes. I don't ago. have any more points to make. I mean, I could just sit here and tell bullshit stories that nobody cares about for another hour. But I have like right. one more thing I wanted to ask you about. When you, um, yeah. We were talking about the Jeff McLean thing, Russ and I, like two podcasts or three podcasts ago or something like that. And I think me and Sealski were like kind of not really arguing about it, but kind of arguing about it on Twitter, um, where I was saying that I think the crux of like what I didn't really get about Jeff asking Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson about the medical questions was like I said earlier, like I don't think he's going to get anything from him, you know, to the point where, you know, you saw Howie Roseman laugh in his face 
at a press conference, which I thought was ridiculous. Right. You know, and I thought it was strange that like nobody had anything to say to to back him up. Like me and Mike Sealski in arguing with each other were the only two people who had anything like at all complimentary to say about or like defensive to to say about him, you know. But the fact that like if you only ever ask those hard kind of questions and you know it's something where you're getting into like HIPAA law and medical information, things like that, that eventually they're just not going to. Like, I've always felt like if you just keep hammering them with that stuff over and over, that when you ask another question, they're just going to bullshit their way through it because they look at you as somebody who only ever asks this type of question. You know what I mean? So I just felt like he was not, like, he's never did himself, like, I just feel like him and Joe, like, the recurring theme was that they were just did not do themselves any favors with any of the stuff that they were trying to do. No, you're you're right. And and here's here's what I'll, how I'll respond to that. You, You talked about if you were teaching journalism 101, here's what you would... Here's what you would say. Here's one of the things that I would say, and, and this, I'll come in and speak to your class during the interview. You know how to do a good interview portion. Um, uh, one of the things that I've tended to do in my time as a reporter is, you know, these people. There are people that are going to ask those questions that are, you know, that you should that you're not going like to get. They're a good pointed. To. They're tough questions, um, but it's like you you feel like right. you have to ask it, but you know that you're not going to get anything from here. Right. So what I do is I will I will wait for someone to ask that question and then get the, you know, the response that's, you know, the nothing response and then immediately like jump in with a question it, thereafter. Yeah. Well, no, no, but it doesn't have to be that specific about yeah. that specific topic. So I will ask an immediate question after a stupid yeah. question because I feel like that, you know, they've now they're annoyed that they were asked a a question that they didn't that they don't want to answer they can't answer and right. you should know better that any question that's even <laughs> some semblance of intelligent uh, is going to get a good response so I I tend to I mean, it's almost like a poker yeah. game in a lot of ways right you know you, you just you know wait for the tell and then boom and then you know make your action happen and and that's what I do I just I will wait for a dumb question and then ask a question because you yeah. always I shouldn't say always but more often than not get a good response from the subject as I, opposed to yeah i think i think know. like a big and this is probably just for another podcast but i think one of the problems that we have in philly is that i think when in a lot of these press conferences and a lot of these scrums there are a lot of there are too many macro kind of questions versus micro kind of questions well i'll give you like a sixers example like there's always somebody who's not really a sixers reporter but just who's like a local media person who will come up to brett brown and say what does it mean to have like the veteran presence of jj reddick on the team, you know, it's like, well, it's good. You know, he's taking Landry Shaman under his wing and blah, blah. We don't have a lot of people who are asking like, you know, Brett, um, you know, JJ slipped that screen at the end of the game there on the four point play. Can you sort of take us through what you were looking for there and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? I feel like it gets kind of like Matt, like yeah. macro micro kind of stuff. I feel like we're just kind of like unbalanced in the wrong way. You know what I mean? Well, that's that's also changed too, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt or to cut you off there, Russ. But I mean, that's changed over the years. It, we've gotten to a point now where those macro questions are being asked more frequently because availability is no longer what it used to be. Availability is now scrum, 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 yeah. scrum, scrum, and not hey, just open up the locker room, go talk yeah. to who you want to talk yeah. to, <laughs> right? So, so those macro questions could have been asked previously you know, in a much smaller setting 
Whereas now it's got to be asked in front of everybody because we can't we can't grab guys. You know, I mean, you know, sure the Eagles still open up their yeah. locker room because it's a fifty three man team, and that's a and it's the a big Sixers. Game. But the I mean, Sixers I'm sure do it too, but they do that at the same time that the guys come out to the to the press room. So I can't I can't right. get Brett Simmons Embiid and Reddick while also going in to try to find like. Covington or something like that, you know. So now I don't even right, really go not into only, the locker room because the most the guys who are most important are brought out to you. So, and that's what and that's the thing you can't even get the important guys one on one. Like it used to and be a time all, when in that there used to be yeah, a time right, when right. you can grab an important guy yeah. separately. But now there's no there you just, just can't do it. And so yeah. the, that's you're, what, you're exactly right, man. It's yeah. it's frustrating, you know, because you always feel and then and then those guys too never really evolve their PR and their media skills because they're always just sort of thrown to the wolves. Like Ben Simmons always had like a million right. motherfuckers surrounding him just asking him dumb stuff all the time that he would never open up to any of it, you know? And then you'd see the exactly. rare one-on-one that he would do with like the Australian good good morning Australia or whatever the hell they're called or whatever. And he'd talk to him for like 10 minutes, you know? But we never are able to get those kinds of things with him, you know? Yeah. Well, we've we've had that kind of thing happen with the Flyers before, right? Like, um, you know, you, you have young guys like uh, Nolan Patrick, who's about the same age, I think he's a year older than Markel Fultz. Um, and, and it's clear that he's been kind of groomed PR-wise to this point in his career that, you know, he's he has to have these non-answers. And it's kind of just yeah, ingrained yeah. in him. You don't really get much out of him. And, and even to some extent, like Claude Giroux you know, the most recognizable star on the team. And on the occasion that he comes out in a timely manner and answers questions... He doesn't really give you anything either. Like you could, you could easily stack up uh, a six nothing loss versus a two nothing win, and the the sound bites are the same. You know, a guy like Dale Weiss, who we had on our show, who you know, a lot of fans when they hear Dale Weiss, you know, he was a fourth line guy, third line guy. He hated that fourth line tag, but like he was a, a bottom six forward for that team. But he was probably the best quote on the team, or or a top three guy. And when we had him on Snow the Goalie, like that was one of the things that he kind of talked about is that. Hockey players in general just don't do a good enough job of letting people in and, and being honest and forthright in their answers. Hard. And then, you know, of course, you know, <laughs> two days after he uh, said that, he gets put on waivers by the team. You know, after he had said, I wish that more guys would just be honest, it's yeah. easier to be honest with the media and, and give a, a real truthful answer than it is to, you know, it's give a non-answer. It's hard to then, as a media member, to kind of, like, identify yourself as somebody who knows like what the fuck you're talking about because the players will like just look out into these scrums that have like a bazillion different people and they just see a bunch of blank faces you know it's harder now for like anthony or me to go into a locker room and like you know carve out some time with the person to get them to the point where they say okay you know i can trust this guy like he knows what he's talking about he knows the game or he asks legitimate questions or he's fair or something like that you know it's it's very harder to kind of separate yourself from the group now um, it's easier to do with coaches because you talk to them all the time and the coaches say, okay, this guy either knows what he's talking about or they don't. You know, and in my experience, all the union people would always say that they absolutely pay attention to what media member like knows X's and O's and which ones don't and whatever. And I'm not saying I'm a fucking basketball expert because I'm not like I'm learning another sport, you know, but, um, it's just because you can't just sort of walk around and get guys in the locker room. It's not open anymore. It's just harder to kind of get that like wedge in the door and kind of prove like, Hey, I'm all, I ask you some decent questions. Like I'll be fair about it. You can trust me, blah, blah, blah. You never really get those relationships with players anymore because it's just such a, like, especially in Philly, it's like a mass of motherfuckers who are just, like, running around with cameras and phones and just trying to get the most viral thing. So it's it would be so much more easier if we were in, like, you know, if you guys were covering, like, the Nashville Predators or something. So, Well, there's an annoyance, too. Like, even when 
this season for the Flyers has spiraled out of control. And, and it's gotten a little bit better recently, but for the most part, you know, it had spiraled out of control. There was, you know, all kinds of turmoil and there was upheaval with the coach and the GM. And, and you know, out of nowhere, all these, you know, bigger, it wasn't like national media. It was the more recognizable faces, we'll say, of like NBCSN Philly or 6 well, sure, you get, show like, up. You get the... And they and they have to they have to go ask these like yes. macro questions that, you know, if, if they had paid attention to the team in any way, they would already have their answer. They would know that they're not going to get much. And even to some extent, like when Carter Hart made his debut, those people showed back up again. They ask their question and like their stuff is so irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. And like to to a fan, like it doesn't really matter. And this is the thing I don't think a lot of fans understand is the media availability in a scrum versus what you see on TV is so different. Like if a if a, a player is asked, like, let's say seven, eight, nine questions on TV, you probably see three of them before they cut away. And, and that happens, of course, mm-hmm. with the coach, too. Like, when whenever Scott Gordon is is asked questions, you know, there might be eight, nine questions, but you'll only see four or five before yeah, TV well, cuts away can... or b- until TV, you know, jumps in. So I, I think it's also kind of hard from that standpoint. You know, you might hear somebody like me complaining that, like, you know, John Clark shows up, asks one question every, you know, month. Why do I care? Well, I care because I might have a more pointed question, something like you were saying about the X's and O's or something that's a little bit more specific to the, the current well, mood I know of the team, you, and, and, and yeah, I don't get to ask that. You know what I mean? So there's, call, there's a frustration. Like, you know, we have this like term for those kinds of people where we call them playoff people, You know, where they only show up during the playoffs, or they only show up when you're playing the Golden State Warriors, or they only show up when it's the season opener or something like that. And some of those people who are with the Eagles are now coming to the Sixers games and stuff like that. And like, I get that's what their job is. That's what they're assigned to do because their audience, like a, like a channel six audience is like the casual kind of not really hardcore kind of fan. So they might want to know that macro kind of thing. What do you think about expectations for this year or something? You know, so they have what they're trying to do for their audience and we have what we're trying to do for our audience. I understand all that, but it's just hard to kind of swallow when, like Jeff Skaversky shows up for the first time this year and he's asking like, well, you know, um, you know, what is Joel Embiid meant to you this year? Like, what the fuck do you mean? What's like, everybody knows what he's meant to this year, but you know, but it's different. That's just what his assignment is. That's what, you know, he's been with the Eagles all this time. Now he's with the Sixers and he's going to do this for a, for a casual action news audience. So it's just a lot of different people with a lot of different job descriptions and a lot of different things that they're trying to get done. And so I, I it's, it's frustrating to me, but I understand, I understand the genesis of all of it. Cause I came from that world. Anyway, that's all I got, man. I, I think, uh, I think we probably covered it all. Yeah. Well, 90, 90 minutes worth of this. So, well, you know what? I hope people enjoyed it. Um, you know, this why, was why, a, this was, why don't we ask uh, Luca for his opinion? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's ever playing with trains now. So okay. he's uh, Luca. What do you think about sources? All right, great. All right, until next time. Um, so, um, no, look, I, I think uh, this is probably going to be something that's going to, you know, cause people to to want to ask more and reach out. So, um, check in the description of the show, as as in the case of anything. Um, everybody's uh, Twitter handle is linked in there. Just click on it. You'll be able to follow them immediately if you're not following Kevin at Kevin underscore Kincaid and Anthony at Ant San Philly. Make sure go. you now do all that. You, follow all you their people stuff who on the say site. that we do the same shit that the radio stations do. Now you can't say that anymore after after you listen to this one. You know. That's right. And it's fun because, uh, you know, there there was an original conversation that happened between you guys at the Capitol Grill when we were doing mm-hmm. the uh, the holiday party. And I just kind of sat back and like that was my biggest takeaway. When my wife said to me like, oh, what were you guys talking about down there? I was like, oh, there's a beautiful moment 
where Kevin and Anthony were going back and forth about sources and about the differences between the teams. There you and go. Here we are. We By finally way, put it um, finally put it on digital record. So the last time that I was belching too much on the podcast, so no belching through ninety minutes this time. That one, that's for you. That's for that guy. Yep. Really proud of you. That's Solid. that's uh, <laughs> that's what people are here for. So look at me bragging. Uh, about until uh, next time. <laughs> until next time for uh, for Anthony. That's Kevin. I'm Russ. Uh, go check out the other shows on Cross the Broad Podcast Network, including Crossed Up, which Anthony uh, co-hosts with Bob. Go check out It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia with uh, Kevin and his rotating hosts at this point. Yeah. Uh, try to think. You mean, oh, you mean of, the, jo- of the George isn't a regular guy? Try to get I the George he on. He, you know, he's right? got like high school volleyball to cover and whatnot. So I don't know how much. It's P-I-A-A talk at the Delco Times. <laughs> and uh, uh, go check out Snow the Goalie. Anthony and I host that. And of course, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, Monday night, there will be a press row show on Facebook Live on the Crossing Broad Facebook page and on Anthony's Twitter slash Periscope at AntSanPhilly. And, uh, oh, don't forget, on Saturday the 2nd, there's going to be a uh, hockey roundtable following the Flyers game uh, at Xfinity Live. Anthony's one of the featured panelists for that, so if you want to come out, shake hands, kiss babies, I don't know, come out to Xfinity Live on Saturday. It'll be after the game. I think we're aiming for like a 4, 4.30 start. 4.30 start, yeah. Uh, is it going to be at Broad Street Bullies Pub, I think? At, Bull- at Bullies Pub, yep, 4.30. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have a special guest, too. And that person will be uh, very much worth coming out to hear from. So even if you yes. don't pay for the price of admission to go see the game at Wells Fargo Center, come out to Xfinity Live at 4.30. And uh, you won't want to miss that. And uh, come out and, and uh, show your support. It'd be great. So for Kevin, for Anthony, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you again very soon.